enjoying walking through each and every one of these uh, characters in Scripture, heroes of faith. Uh, we, we're going to see in the life of David some excellent things that we can model and some things that we should not model. Uh, but I'm going to pray and we're going to jump right into the story of David examining the heart is the title of this week's sermon. Father, we pray that you will be with us. We thank you for all that you have been doing and have done and will do for us. I pray, Holy Spirit of the living God, that you will fall fresh upon us this morning and that we will be changed, that we'll be transformed, not just informed. In your holy and precious name, amen. Amen. In the month of March, Hillary and I were able to get a cottage at Mahaffey. But this cottage was clearly one of those this needs to be fixed up really bad type of situations. And if you know me, that's just not my thing at all, right? I mean, I swing a hammer, I'm trying to put in a light bulb, I almost killed myself, right? But we ha I have great friends here in this church and at my previous church who have helped me to fix this whole thing up and, and it was ready for family camp. But there was this time where I walked in and I looked at the drywall that needed to be demolished and I thought, man, this is going to take an entire day. There's drywall everywhere down here. You know, drywall, you need hammers and crowbars and you need all these things. And I didn't examine the drywall very closely, but I knew it was drywall and I knew it was going to take time to take it down. So I get a crew of about five guys. I say, hey, this is probably going to take all day. I'll make sure to feed you uh, lunch. Just come on, help me because I, I can't do this by myself. It's going to take forever. So we get in there. And we begin to examine the walls very closely. And one of the things that we realize is that these are not put up. These drywall, this drywall was not put up by drywall screws, right? It wasn't. So we're examining this and we think, okay, do we need to, what do we need to do to, to get this thing off? And normally with drywall, there's drywall screws everywhere. There's tape and there's all this stuff. You just have to crack this stuff all day long. Well, it was put up with simple paneling tacks. And we were able to just pull it off the wall. <laughs> you should never be able to pull drywall off a wall in full sheets, but that's what we were able to do. And we were done by like 10.30, and I said, guys, sorry I wasted your time. I could have done that all by myself. And the point of it is, is when you get into something like that, you think that you know what you're going to have to do, but until you examine it closely, you don't know the full ramifications of what you need to do. And we pulled all the, wall, the, all the walls off and we needed to insulate things that we didn't anticipate, kept coming up, and that's exactly what happens. When you examine something, you get closer to it, you're able to see the flaws, you're able to see the issues, you're able to really determine what needs to be done, rather than just looking at the surface. And I'm going to talk about today God examining our hearts. We're going to look at the story of David and, and kind of overlay what he, he had in his heart and how we can model that. But we need to understand that God seeks to reveal to us what's underneath our falsified facades. Just like that drywall in the cottage, we might look like we're set up that we are solid, that we have excellent, excellent walls in our lives that are strong and sturdy. But when God comes close, and when we allow the Spirit of God to give us the ability to examine closely what's in our hearts, God will reveal to us what's underneath our falsified facades. We will see 
what's in David's heart again, and we will then be able to overlay that for ours. But when we actually take time to pause and allow God to speak into our lives and force us to examine our hearts, that's a pretty scary thing. I know, as I have done this time and time again in my life, there are things I'm just like, no, 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 the drywall's fine. You know, we can use paneling tax. It, it looks fine. My, my heart is fine. But when the Spirit comes closer and reveals to me the things that need to be dealt with, it can be painful. And God examines our hearts to reveal our brokenness. He doesn't do it to push it into our face. You could even use the word expose, to open up to ourselves the issues that we have in our lives that need to be dealt with. We talked last week in the life of Joshua as we ended, and you see our Ebenezer, we will serve. We put that in the ground, and we said this is a, a testimony to us to remind us of the promise that we made to the Lord. But I'm sure last week as we were walking through that, because as I was preparing for that message, God was putting a light on my own heart and sharing with me the areas that I have neglected to allow Him to give me the courage and empower me to do that which He's called me to do because I have brokenness that I don't always want to deal with. Dealing with brokenness is hard. It's frustrating, but it's necessary. And so we will look at the life of David. God examines our heart to reveal our brokenness. And God doesn't do this in a way that he laughs at us in the midst of it. He's not like, ah, see, I just wanted to make you feel really bad. Rob, Rob Reamer, who was preaching at Mahaffey the last half of the week, he had said that God's discipline, God's exposure of our brokenness, is not for the sake of punishment, but it's for the sake of restoration. And I fully believe that, and this is exactly what I'm going to be talking about this morning, that God desires for our hearts to be restored. God's examination of our hearts and exposing to us the issues we need to deal with, that's for our restoration, because God desires you to be in close relationship with Him. He's not a, a little kid with a magnifying glass trying to burn you, like the little kid who tries to burn ants. That's not God's way. So, the question is, what does a godly heart look like? If we're going to allow ourselves to be exposed and examined to the Lord this morning, we have to have the answer, what does it look like? And is that heart the heart in which I have myself? We're going to start in the story of David in 1 Samuel 16, 6-13. But then we're going to take that familiar psalm, Psalm 23. And I believe that Psalm 23 is a window of David's heart, and every line is a line that exposes to us what a godly heart looks like, because God looks at the heart, as we will see in 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13. The scripture will be on the screen. You can open up your Bibles as well. It's 1 Samuel 16, 6 through 13. The word of the Lord. When they came, he, that's Elijah, looked on, no, Samuel, sorry. When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. The man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. 
Then Jesse made Shema pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and he brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So we see that God looks upon the heart. We as, as humans, we like to look at the outward appearance and say, wow, that person, they're really collected. They, they really know what they're doing. They're always dressing nice. They're always speaking kindly. They, they must be the person that should be the leader. But it's about the heart. Jesus exposed this in the Pharisees' life often where they would pretend to have this beautiful piety, and they would do everything outwardly that they could. And Jesus looked at them and said, you know, you're a whitewashed tomb. The outside of your tomb looks amazing. It is so beautiful. You've lime-washed that thing to where it really shines. But it's still a tomb, and it's full inside of dead man's bones. We can nicely put up a false facade, but it's the inside that counts. I believe David gives us five values in Psalm 23. And the first value we can see on how to have a godly heart is that a godly heart knows our needs are met by him. Verse 1 of Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David was chosen for his heart. And here in this very familiar psalm, we see a very quick window of how God is everything to David. David was a shepherd, and so he understood what it was like to watch sheep. He understood the role of the shepherd was to care for the sheep, give everything the sheep needs, protect the sheep. And here he says, God is my shepherd. He's the one who watches over me. He is the one who protects me. He is the one with whom I believe and trust and put everything in his hands. Now, sheep are dumb. They have no idea what they're doing in their lives. They would walk off a cliff without a shepherd. Sounds like humanity, right? We would walk off a cliff if it weren't for our shepherd. We wander around and we don't know what we're doing without the Spirit's guidance. But we often pretend like we do. We're little old sheep just walking around, and we think we know what we're doing. We think we have the right path, but we need the shepherd. The shepherd is the one that we are to trust and believe in. And David says something after that, very, 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 very important. I shall not want. I shall not want. He says, because the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything in him that I need. Everything that I could ever want, he is what I need. He is who I want. I have no needs. I have no wants. 
because I'm satisfied with my shepherd. That, that statement is absolutely important because so often we say, oh yes, the Lord is my portion forever. But then our whole time is obsessing, uh, obsessing over money or status or position or fame or whatever it may be. Rob Reamer talked about obsessing over Jesus. I love that phrase, that we are to be obsessed with Jesus. And I think that's exactly what this is saying in this passage. David was a man obsessed with God. Obsessed. He would spend time as a shepherd in the quiet of the pastures. And he wanted nothing but the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. His heart fully believed that God was all he needed. When satisfied with God, you and I will not need anything. Being satisfied in God is knowing, knowing He is enough. Being satisfied in God is knowing He is enough. David understood the Lord is enough. All I need is the Lord. And I know that the Lord as a shepherd will care for me. All of the things that I need in life, food, shelter, all of those will be provided. He was obsessed with God. And that's where we need to come. Anything that would distract us from wanting more of Him is taking our focus off of our shepherd. In this familiar psalm, we often read it when someone has passed. We read it at a funeral. But it should also be read as a lifestyle. Not just something we talk about when we die, but it should be something that we clothe ourselves in our life. Being satisfied with God is knowing that He is enough. So let's take an examination of your heart really quickly. Ask the Spirit of God, is God enough? me are you enough that's a challenging question and it's not easy to answer don't be quick to say oh yeah he's enough really allow yourself to get close to the drywall and see is there siding or paneling tacks holding that up or is it drilled into the studs of your life it's an important question because if our shepherd is not enough the rest of what we talk about can't happen. If he's not enough, we won't do the rest of Psalm 23. Is God enough? David believed that God was. His heart beat with the belief that God was enough. The second value we see of a godly heart is that a godly heart is quick to be quiet. A godly heart is quick to be quiet. Verse 2 of Psalm 23, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Being quiet is not an American norm. As Pastor Mike so wonderfully put, as he talked about wanting a distraction as he was sitting there for hours with baby Michael. You and I, we like to be distracted. We like to have noise. We like to watch our shows. We like to sit in a book that is just taking us to a different land, which all of those things are not bad, but done in excess, 
done in a way that takes us away from quiet, that never gives us the space to be quiet. Those things hinder us from a deeper intimacy with the Lord. And we won't find all that we want in our shepherd when we don't get quiet. If God's not enough, we're going to seek to be distracted other places because we need to be distracted because our hearts long for something. That's why we turn to all different things in life because our heart is longing for an intimate connection to someone or something. And we try to fill that void with TV, with sex, with alcohol, with drugs, with food, whatever it may be. We try to stuff it in there because we know that we're longing for something. But you and I, in order to really be satisfied, we have to be quiet. 70 million Americans have insomnia. I've shared these statistics before, but they constantly blow my mind. 38,000 deaths each year happen in America due to insomnia. 64% of teens say lack of sleep is the cause of their poor school performance. Ages 30 to 40 suffer the most, and it's the main reason why coffee is such a commodity in America. Because ages 30 to 40, obviously they're having kids and they're not sleeping. Pastor Mike can be a testament to that. You're just not sleeping anymore. And so we need to fill ourselves with caffeine. We don't like to sleep. Now, parents, we don't always have the opportunity. <laughs> but we like to do things and constantly be on the move. We don't sit quiet. Getting quiet is scary. Because then we do have to sit and allow God to speak to us. To listen to what he says about what's really going on. The drywall of our heart, is it simply paneling tax or is it drilled down to the studs of life? Those are things that we in the quiet experience. Quiet is not fun. If I were to just stop talking and allow one and a half minutes of silence to happen right in this room, by about 35 seconds, at least three of you would start fidgeting. At 45 seconds, all of you would probably move at least once because silence is uncomfortable. Don't worry, I'm not going to do it to you. but it's a reality. We don't like it. But hear me. If we are not quiet, we will never hear the voice of God. People say, well, Pastor, you often say that God speaks to you. He never does that to me. Are you quiet? Because He's talking. He's speaking. His Spirit has not shut its mouth. <laughs> God is still talking. We must be quiet. We need space to slow down and be quiet. David knew this. He knew that he needed still waters. And if you look at that passage, he, he says in Hebrew, he makes me lie down. Because David was a doer. He was the greatest king Israel had ever seen. And he realized that, you know, as a shepherd... God makes me lie down. Sometimes we just need to look at, at God and say, make me lie down. And he might answer that question by giving you a, a sickness that you have to lie down in bed for. <laughs> he might answer that by taking all of the things that you scheduled off of your schedule, and you say, well, what am I going to do now? Be quiet. Sit with him. 
He will make you lie down. And the still waters, imagine just sitting in nature when it's not raining and it's perfect temperature and you sit by a river and it's still. There's a quiet to that. You and I, we need to slow down. We need to hear his voice. Imagine if I had one of you come up and I blindfolded you. And I said to you that I will give you directions and you'll be able to hear me. I will help you walk around the entire sanctuary. It would be a little bit difficult, but because it was my voice leading and guiding, they would be able to hear me and they would be able to, if they obeyed correctly, the steps they would be able to make it around the sanctuary. Now imagine if I did that same thing and I asked all of you to begin talking at the same time I'm trying to talk. And no matter if there's a PA system or not, if someone starts saying different directions, they're going to run into a wall, they're going to trip, they're going to fall because they don't have the one voice speaking directly to them to guide them. You and I, we have the one voice speaking and directing us to guide us, but we fill it with a cacophony of all other noises that we can't hear properly. We need to be quiet. One of the things that, one of the reasons why Hillary and I got the cottage at Mahaffey was also an act of obedience. Because in my, my doctoral class, the first one I took, we had to write a, 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 a whole way in which we were going to be quiet with the Lord. We had to write it down because one of the things that the professor, which happened to be Rob Reamer, said is that in order to slow down, you need to make a plan. Because guys like me, we just, we just keep going. He said, Here, you need to make a plan, a one-year, a five-year plan. And one of the things on my five-year plan list was to get a place where I can go and be quiet. Now, during family camp, Mahaffey's not quiet, but every other time of the, of the year, it is. And I need to go up there and spend time with God for an entire day in silence. And if you know me, I love to talk. But I need to be quiet. It was an act of obedience to spend the place, to get a time, and, and have a retreat area. You might not be able to do that at Mahaffey, but there are places that you can take a day or two at a time. This, you, can't, you cannot, listen, you cannot get the full noise of the world out in a 30-minute devotional time. It's not enough. That will not satisfy the listening. You've got to make sacrifices in order to hear the voice of God. David realized this. He recognized this and made space. David took time to be quiet, and we see the third value of a godly heart is this. A godly heart passionately pursues holiness. He says this in verse 3. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. David had a solid understanding of who God was. He had a solid understanding that when he is exposed with the brokenness that's within him, there's only one person that can bring his restoration. There's only one person who can bring him back to holiness, and it's not David. He declares he restores my soul. 
Remember, we talked about this idea of God exposing the brokenness within us for the sake of restoration. David here points that out, that God desires your restoration. God desires for you to come back into an intimate relationship with Him. God desires for you to be able to hear His voice and obey His voice and live the life that He has created you to live. But when we don't, we need restored. Because we will. We often try to take control back from the Lord. And David here says, He restores my soul. And the goal of that is in that. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. In, in the Psalms, we see David's passion. If you were to take time and read just the Psalms of David, you'll see that he comes with, with just eager desire for change. When he knows he's messed up, he comes and he repents and he says, God, I need you. God, I need your restoration. He's broken and he realizes it. David lived a crazy life and did a lot of stupid things. He wrote a lot of psalms coming back from his stupidity. You and I all need restored. We all need to passionately pursue holiness. David's goal was to get back in alignment with God so he can live a righteous life. And what does he say? Was it for David's sake that I need to live a righteous life? No, he said it's for his name. Because I'm the leader of all of God's people. If I'm out of alignment, David knew that everyone else would be out of alignment. He directed and led the way of alignment to God. He would be followed. We see this in the life of Solomon, his son, who began to just do really dumb things. Even though he was the wisest king, he started worshiping other gods and led the entirety of Israel away from focusing on God. His goal is to be holy. And he realizes that the only way he can be holy is through God's restoration, the shepherd that gives him all that he wants. David in the Psalms talks about his testimony. One of the most powerful things that you have in your life in order to talk about and live into holiness and share Jesus' love for the world is your own story. What has God done for you? Share that with people. If you don't know the whole Romans road, start with your story. This is what God did for me. This is what God did in my life. I was a mess. I was broken. But when God came in, he changed me. And it wasn't for my sake. It was for his sake. We see David purposely giving God that glory. One of the interesting things about David, too, is if you were to look at his life, he never did try to take the spotlight. The spotlight ended up happening to him, and that's what caused Saul to hate him at first. But he never tried to step into the spotlight to say, look at David, look at David. He constantly tried to push the focus to God. Are we living for his name's sake? David sought holiness for his life, and the fourth value that we see of a godly heart is a godly heart wholly trusts the Lord. A godly heart wholly trusts the Lord, even though, he says in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That's another powerful line, and often the reason why we use this at funerals is because of this line, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. But hear me, this is not about death, it's about living in the midst of 
evil, living in the midst of pain, living in the midst of a world that would seek to derail you, living in the middle of the enemy's territory and not being afraid. This is not about someone who has already died, for they are already in glory if they know Jesus. There is, this doesn't make sense when it comes to death per se. David is talking about living life with a godly heart, that there is a holy trusting. All of who David is is trusting in the Lord. He does not have to fear evil because he knows the shepherd is with him. He saw this happen in his life where he talks about when he goes up against Goliath, which we'll see next week, he talks about how God protected him from the bear and from the lion, that he was able to, by God's presence and capability, go after these things and live. He lived this. I don't have to fear evil because God is with me. He's my shepherd. Just like I'm the one who protects the sheep from the bear and the lion, that's what God does for me. When evil comes and the lion's roaring and starts jumping, and I don't have to be afraid because God is with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. David's trust in God allowed him to live without fear. David's trust in God allowed him to live without fear. How often do we live in fear? One of the things that I think COVID exposed in the church all around the globe, but particularly in America, it exposed people who are afraid. And I'm not talking about afraid of just the COVID virus. I'm not talking about being afraid because they wore masks or didn't wear masks. I'm talking about the fear of the end of the world. Oh, what are we going to do? Oh. We don't have to be afraid of the end of the world. We as believers should welcome it and say, Jesus is coming back, and I'm going to do everything I can to proclaim and live the truth of the gospel. I don't have to be afraid of this stuff. But so many believers were quaking in fear. Man, we don't have to fear evil. When God is enough, when we trust God and we're obsessed with Jesus, we don't have to walk in fear. We can live in faith. We can live in trust. We can wholly trust in him. David understood this. In the times alone with God, he saw God provide over and over and over again, knowing he didn't be, have to be afraid. Another interesting thing about this that isn't necessarily in your notes is that he says, your rod and your staff, they will comfort me. Your rod and your staff. Now listen, if you're a shepherd, you use your rod and your staff for two things. The one thing is you use the, the staff to pull up. It's that crook that's in there. You pull a sheep out of a, a pit. Or you're like, that sheep's running around. You yank it and put it over here again. And then the rod is a, a, a whooping. You know what I'm saying? Where you take that rod and you're like, to the sheep, stop being stupid. And here he says, when God pulls the staff and hits me and gives me a little bit of a whooping with the rod, it comforts me. Man, when my dad spanked me when I was a kid, I would not say, that was comforting. Ha, <laughs> ah, that felt so good. No. I'd be like, stop that. I'm going to obey because I don't want that to happen. But he says it's comforting because he knows. He's trusting in 
God that even if he gets a little bit of a spiritual whooping, it's because God wants to redirect him to holiness, that God is in control, that God is doing that not to be punitive, but to be restorative. Because you know, as well as I do, we need a spiritual whooping when we're going down the wrong way. We need God to smack us a little bit. And it's not to hurt us, it's to restore us. It's to say, listen, come on, get back in alignment. Come back to where you need to be. This type of trust can only come through experience and intentional intimacy. When we get spiritually whooped and we're not intimate with the Lord, we're not going to see it as restorative. We're going to see it as punishment. We're going to walk away and say, I just want to do my own thing. I'm done. When we have an intentional, intimate relationship with God, we'll be able to say, your rod and your staff, they, they comfort me. Are we aligned with Him? Are we getting quiet? Is God enough? Or do we try to fill our lives with all kinds of other things? David Benner says, everything that is false about us arises from our belief that our deepest happiness will come from living life our way, not God's way. Everything that's false about us has that belief that I can live this my way. But anytime the flesh gets involved, it's a mess. Every time. I told you there were five values. And the fifth value of a godly heart is this. A godly heart recognizes all good things come from the Lord. Psalm 23, 5 and 6, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Man, that's a weird statement. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Imagine a dinner party, and you're, you're, you're invited to this, and every single person you would consider an enemy of your life, someone who, who is constantly angry with you, constantly frustrated, someone you always butt heads with, or some bitter brokenness happens in your relationship, and God's like, hey, I want you to sit down at this table with all 25 of these people that you know hate you. Sit down and have a meal with them. Meal is something intimate. Right? I mean, we've kind of made meals not so intimate. Let's go to McDonald's and eat in the car. <laughs> but a meal in this day was something that was familial. It was a long-lasting meal. There would be sitting down for hours eating this meal. This is what he's talking about, sitting at the table with his enemies, eating a meal. He's like, God prepared that. God set me down with all these people at this table who wanted to kill me. And it was okay. It was from the Lord. Sometimes suffering comes in our lives and we blame God. And we get angry with God. We blame others. I've said this often in the, in the garden when Adam and Eve sinned. God challenges Adam and Adam with one sentence blames two people. The woman you gave me. Right? Right? And God's bringing that restorative discipline. But we shun it. We push it away. But here David recognizes that all good things and 
those things that are bad can be turned into good. We saw in the life of Joseph, he said, what you meant for evil, God used for good. This is part of our testimony. What are the bad things that have happened in your life that God has brought you through? Your testimony has power because other people are going through almost, if not the exact same thing you have. And they need hope that God can bring them through. They, they need that hope that God is enough and we can live that out. All good things come from the Lord. He gives glory to God. He, I love this phrase. He says, you anoint me with my head with oil and my cup overflows. Even in the presence of his enemies, he's like, yeah, <laughs> you're so good that my cup is overflowing. I can't even drink it fast enough because you just keep pouring it in. All the good things. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. That's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. In the, in the olden times in the, in the uh, temple, when the priests would go into the temple, they would be anointed with oil. And now, you know, in our imagery of the church, we see anointed with oil. We do the cross with, you know, olive oil or something similar. <laughs> These dudes would walk into this room and they take an entire bucket. The, the guys who were helping the priests, they'd take an entire barrel of oil and they'd be dumped all over their body. And it would be sm good smelling oil. And they'd walk in like all oily. Now, that's kind of a weird image. But you knew that they had the presence of God, a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Not only did they look oily, they had frankincense and they smelled differently. I mean, imagine a guy, I mean, we have, you, maybe you've smelled frankincense, the, the essential oil. Imagine an entire bucket of that dumped on someone. They'll smell for days, even if they shower. It was the presence of God. This is what he's saying. You anoint my head with oil in the presence of my enemies. You tell them and let them know that you are with me and they can't touch me. Even though I'm at a meal with them, they can't do a thing. And he gives glory to God in that. The Holy Spirit is with us as believers. We can be in the presence of our enemies and not be afraid. I ask you again, is God enough? As you're examining your own heart and asking and inviting the Spirit of God to illuminate to you the brokenness in your life, the areas that you need to deal with, are you going to say yes? Are you going to let Him take those things, clean out your heart, and fill it with His righteousness for His name's sake? What are the things that are distracting you from being obsessed with Jesus? What are those areas in your life that you feel you have to have that are taking your want for your shepherd? What are those distractions that you're allowing to shut out the voice of God? If you can, schedule in this summer. Summer is a good time to do this because it's nice outside. Take a day, four hours, three hours, five hours and go away and be quiet. Sit with God an open Bible and a quiet mouth and open ears. I would tell the kids this past week, I said, you have four things on your face that need to be open and one thing in your, on your face that needs to be quiet. 
Your eyes need to be open to what God is saying. Your ears need to be open to the voice of God. And your mouth needs to be quiet so you don't distract yourself from hearing what God wants to say. So I challenge you. Go away and allow the four things on your face to be open and the one thing on your face to be shut. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. I thank you that you are God who speaks that you are a God who desires intimacy with us, that you are a God who loves us despite us, that we can wholly trust you, that we can give everything to you, that we can have a godly heart like David. I pray that we'll look at Psalm 23 differently. I pray, Holy Spirit, that as we wrestle with this, that you will do business with our hearts. And may we say yes. And allow you to be enough. In your name, amen. If the Lord has been doing work in your heart, and he's been challenging you, and pushing you, and exposing some things that you need to wrestle with, the altar is always open. If you want someone to pray with you as we sing these last two songs, come up to the altar and we'll pray over you. If you want to just come up as an act of obedience and wrestle with God alone, sit in one of the front pews. No one will bug you, but you can sit in silence and listen to what God is saying to you.
Amen. Please remain standing and open your hands to receive what the Lord has for you. I believe it's this, that you will allow your shepherd to be enough to lead you by still waters and to restore your soul. May you go in peace.